Let's pray. Lord, you are God. And we come before you and we, we are thankful that you have chosen to show yourself to us through your word and, and through your word in the flesh, your son, Jesus Christ, that we would know you. So we thank you for these things in his name. Amen. I don't know where you live, but I live in a crazy, mixed-up world. I, one that, that it, it's a world that adamantly stands against the God of our faith. Where, where people become inordinately angry. Have you ever noticed that? They, they become repulsed at the name of Jesus Christ and the God of Scripture. Where, where men like Richard Dawkins feel the need to write books like The God Delusion, in, in which he writes that God is a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, misogynistic, homophobic, racist, an infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Boy, I haven't strung a bunch of words like that together ever myself. And he felt such a need to put those all together, say how awful God is. To publish that for the world to see. Where we throw out the Ten Commandments and rejoice that we've cast off the yoke of God and then we wonder, why are our children going to schools and murdering each other? A world where people turn their eyes away from the evil around them because they just don't want to get involved and, hey, if I support your sin, then you have to support mine, right? If I turn my eyes away from yours, you have to turn your eyes away from mine, right? Doesn't it feel like this living in this world is like riding a roller coaster? I think, think about your life. It's, it's full of constant ups and downs, isn't it? Things are going great as you go up, and then you realize you get to the top, and all of a sudden you're going to go down and backwards and upside down all at the same time, and you're, ah, right? You throw up your hands and scream. You get a promotion. Things are going up. Only to find out that when you get in your new office, your new boss isn't going to stand for you having a Bible on your desk. What are you going to do? You have 2.5 beautiful children only to have one of them get deathly ill. And then there's that house with the white picket fence, right? And it's in constant need of repair, right? Always got to do something. And in the midst of all this crazy, the ups and downs, we are called as Christians to run a race. Not just to run it, but to run it with endurance. To keep going at it, whatever the world should throw at us. To live out the Christian life, to bear witness to Jesus Christ and who we are and what we say. To follow through on that Acts chapter 1 verse 8 call to bear witness, to fill the gap. How do we do this? How do we continue to fill the gap in the face of all the trials? A roller coaster of a life in a fallen world. And why bother? What is it that keeps people like Paul, who we've been reading about in the book of Acts, that keep him from giving in to that old adage, if you can't beat them, join them, right? Here in our passage today, we're going to see Paul continuing in ministry, 
preaching, teaching, debating, getting discouraged and persecuted, traveling some more, reasoning some more, and encouraging others as he goes. He's like the Energizer Bunny. He just won't stop. He just keeps going, living for and walking with Christ, whatever the world throws at him. How? We're going to see four practical ways today how things that Paul does. How and why does he do it? Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 5. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. Acts 18, starting at verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the Word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencre, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up, greeted the church, and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Reading of God's word, go ahead and be seated. In just a short time, from the beginning of, well, end of chapter 17, beginning of 18, Paul has been run out of Thessalonica and Berea, leaving Athens without too much success behind him, right? It's a down, isn't it? And then, Leaving there, he goes to Corinth and befriends Aquila and Priscilla, and they find themselves united in Christ, united in um, their, their vocation, right? We see that in verses 2 through 3 of chapter 18. And that's enough. That's great. He's got friends. He's got a connection. He's got fellowship. And then he's opposed and reviled by the Jews in verse 6. He's blasphemed once again. We see that word regarding Paul, as we saw earlier in the book of Acts. That's a down. 
Titius lets him move in with him. Verse 7, And Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believes along with his whole family, and a lot of the Corinthians believe and are being baptized, and that's an up, that's great! And then the persecution was apparently so intense, it, it gave Paul pause. It made him, gave him second thoughts about staying in Corinth. So that's a down, right? We, we, we see that in Paul because God had to come to him, and, and God does come to him and gives him a vision to encourage him. He says, stay there in verses 9 through 10. That's enough. God himself speaking to you and saying, stay there? Yeah, that's good. I'm up. And then he's attacked by the Jews. Verse 12, that's a down, isn't it? But God was true to his word, and, and Paul remained unharmed. There's an up. Following this momentous occasion, Paul moves to F- on to Ephesus, Caesarea, Antioch, and, and through Galatia, Phrygia, and, and he just keeps strengthening the churches and, and the church family. Up, down, up, down, backwards, forwards. He just keeps, he, can't things just stay up for a little while? Talk about exhausting. Mentally, physically, spiritually challenged at every turn. And yet, Paul keeps going. There's so much happening around Paul in this passage. Today we're going to look at uh, a few of the things that Paul did in the middle of it all to see practically how he endured. To see how he kept running the race that was set before him. Look with me at verse 5. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. The first thing that we see in Paul is in the midst of this narrative, having been cast out of Thessalonica and Berea, working hard while reasoning in the synagogue at Corinth. We saw that in verse 4, right? And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, tried to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Paul keeps himself occupied with the word of God. Out of the gate, as soon as Paul arrives somewhere, he gets right to work establishing his ministry, sharing the gospel with others, right? He doesn't wait for Timothy and Silas to arrive. By the time they got there, it says that Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the truth of the gospel. He doesn't allow time to pass by and complacency to set in. He doesn't allow his life to become so full of other activities that he no longer has time for things like devotions, worship, fellowship, preaching, teaching, sharing the gospel. He kept himself occupied with the word on a regular basis. In verse 4, we saw that he did it every Sabbath. He was going to the synagogue regularly, reasoning, trying to persuade keeping his mind and his heart occupied by the word of God. Verse 5, he was testifying that the Christ was Jesus. The word of God was a constant part of Paul's life. In, In all this crazy of our lives, in all this backwards and upside down that we go through, how occupied am I with the word of God? How occupied am I with what I know of God? If I want the same endurance that Paul had to go through all these ups and downs and the persecution and the trials and tribulations, and and let's remember, we, we often read the word of God and we see Paul as this lofty man, this man that is is almost unattainable to get to, but we need to remember that Paul himself says, I'm an example. 
I want you to do just like me. Paul is our example, not an unattainable ideal. If I want the endurance that Paul had, that same steadfastness in my walk with Christ that he had through the ups and downs of life, I need to be occupied by God's word. Constantly reminded through it of who God is. The magnificent, infinite, eternal creator of everything. The one who holds everything together at this moment. The one who knit me together and saved me. Gave me life twice over. I need to be constantly reminded through God's word of what God has done in his son Jesus Christ and the salvation, the wonder of that salvation that I have. The depths that I have been saved from. Be in awe of who God is. Through God's word, I need to be reminded of who I am now in Christ Jesus. I am no longer the man I was. I am now his. Saved by faith through grace. Not by my works, but by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. I need to be a Christian who is ready and prepared to give a reason for the hope that I have in Christ, who who spends enough time in study and fellowship and and prayer that I won't miss the opportunity to to bear witness to Christ, to Acts 1-8, when it presents itself. Perhaps even looking for those opportunities, right? Keeping myself occupied. Staying active in my walk and gospel call. But it's so easy to let complacency set in, isn't it? You let one Sunday go, and, or, or you, you stop attending Sunday school or, or Bible study. The next Sunday, it's not so hard to miss. You, you discover pretty quickly that you didn't die, And God did not immediately rain down judgment upon your head. And eventually we feel like we don't need the fellowship of other believers, and perhaps they don't need me either. At least that's the lie that Satan wants you to believe. Because the further he can pull us from fellowship, from the word, from prayer, the weaker and less effective we will be for the gospel kingdom that we have been brought into and called to be a part of as we stop living eternally and begin to live only temporal as we, temporally, as we stop living for the God who saved us and we start to live only for the things of this world, the things we can see, touch, smell, and that's it. We need to be careful not to allow life to become so filled with other activities, hobbies, people who don't build us up in our walk with Christ, that we don't have time left for our personal walk or time with God in his word. I'll pray later. I'll I'll read tomorrow. I'll, I'll share my testimony the next time around. It's just too easy to let those things happen. Do you want to be able to endure life in a crazy fallen world? Do we want to be effective tools in the hand of God? Do we recognize that that's the call that God has placed upon our life through the salvation we have in Jesus Christ? Be occupied. 
with God and his word. Psalm 119 says it beautifully through the whole psalm. But just verses 9 through 16, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Paul keeps himself occupied with the word. And he draws boundaries to remain effective. He remains occupied with the word, and he draws boundaries to remain effective. Look at, uh, look at verses 6 through 7 with me. It says, And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood shall be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. When Paul saw the gospel not, not simply being questioned, not, not just being debated and, and reasoned about, but being opposed to the point that there is no longer a dialogue, no longer a conversation, to the point that there are bitter, blasphemous words and a spiritual deafness to what Paul had to share about Jesus Christ, Paul moves on. Paul leaves. He shakes the dust out of his clothes, and reminds them one last time of the consequences of their choice. He sets a boundary. You're wasting the time that God has given me. You're not listening, so I'm moving on to somebody who just might hear the gospel and believe. It's not that he's given up on them or no longer wants to see them come to faith in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. My kinsmen, according to the flesh, they are Israelites. Paul would have loved to see them accept Christ just as he had. But Paul also knew when his stewardship of the gospel was no longer accomplishing anything. So he takes his time, and he takes his efforts, and he takes the gospel message, moving on to where they might be more effective to a people who will listen to what he has to say he drew a boundary maybe we are not being yelled at or outright blasphemed by people around us as paul was being treated by the corinthian jews maybe it's not something quite that obvious for us but are there, are there people in our lives is there someone in your life who's made it clear that they don't want anything to do with Christ? They, they want nothing to do with it. They won't listen. They, they've 
made it clear to you. But you continue to spend your time and your efforts and everything you have trying to convince them. Are there people in your life that make your ability to share the gospel ineffective simply because of the influence they have upon you? Are there people who hinder your desire to share, to bear witness, or to be occupied by his word? Is there someone in your life who's, who's holding back your walk with your Savior? People who just suck the life out of your Christian walk. Perhaps it's time to draw a boundary. To shake the dust off your clothes and remind them, don't forget that step, to remind them one more time of the consequence of their choice. So that you can take that time, you can take those efforts and give it to someone who will listen. Our time here is limited, isn't it? We'll be blessed if we have 90 years. We need to use it as wisely and effectively as we can. And sometimes that means drawing boundaries for the people in our lives. And I'm not saying you have to eliminate people from your life unless that is truly what's best and it's what's possible. Sometimes that might not be possible depending upon your relationship with them. And just like Paul, we want to continue to have a heart for them. But we don't have to continue to give them the same time and the same effort that could be better used for the salvation of someone who hasn't heard that same message that you've been trying to give to this other person. Paul occupied himself with God's word. He drew personal boundaries in order to remain effective in his time and efforts for the gospel. And in verses 9 through 10, Paul receives a clear direction from God. Verses 9 through 10, it says, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And what does Paul do with that? When God comes and says, this is what I want you to do. Verse 11, and he, Paul, stayed. A year and six months, no short time, right? Teaching the word of God among them. He did what God told him to do. He remained obedient to God's direction. Occupied boundaries, obedience. When God says it, Paul does it. He recognized the sovereignty of God in his life. Even though this persecution must have been severe enough to cause Paul doubt and fear. And did you see in what God said to him? Do not be afraid. I am with you. God saw the fear and the doubt in Paul and said, this is what I want you to do. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Keep doing it. And so Paul listens to God's command and obeys with a confidence. We see that confidence in the fact that he taught and preached for a year and a half in that place. Because Paul has learned as he walked with Christ that God is always true to his word. God says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. Ah, somebody might say. But in verses 12 through 17, Paul is attacked. 
but not to the point of harm. In God's promise, he says, no one will attack you to harm you. God made a promise to Paul, not that life would be carefree or the world around him would never, no, no longer be fallen in sin. It's all going to be puppies and rainbows from now on, Paul. No, God didn't make that promise. God promised Paul no harm in that place. He would not be attacked to harm. And God's word rang true. As we see later in verses 12 through 17, that the judgment of Gallio was in Paul's favor. Have you seen that God is true to his word in your life, in your walk with him? Do you know him well enough? Do you know his word well enough? Do you have enough reason to believe God in the things that you don't understand because you've seen him to be true to his word in the things that you have seen, you do understand? Are we prepared to obey him when he asks us us to do the hard things in the midst of trials because we know him and, and we know how great the salvation is that we've been given in Jesus Christ? But God doesn't speak to me the way he spoke to Paul. I have 1,167 loaded pages of what God has said to me. If I want to be as effective, enduring, and confident as Paul, maybe I need to start applying all of this and see just how true God is to his word that I might walk with that same confidence, the same obedience that Paul did that carried him through the difficult times. To endure life in a fallen world with all of its ups and downs, and living for God, walking with Christ, effective in his gospel call, Paul kept himself occupied with God's word. He drew boundaries to keep himself effective for the gospel, and he remained obedient to God's commands. And he was constantly dependent upon the will of God. When Paul gets to Ephesus, they want him to stay longer. Verse 21, uh, 20. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. Verse 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. Paul had a great grasp of that proverb, 16.9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. He knew that whatever plans he might have or, or make, God is the one whose will needs to come first in his life. He could have told the Ephesians or, or promised them, I'll come back, no problem. But he knew that as he walked with Christ, he needed to be prepared. He needed to be ready to walk with Christ. According to his will and not our own. It's so easy to get caught up in the expectations of this life. To forget that our lives don't belong to ourselves. They belong to God in Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed by his blood. We've been bought with a price. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. 
for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are we living out the will of God? Walking in the stewardship that he has given us in Jesus Christ? Or are we still trying to accomplish our own will? Are we still stuck on the things of our own desires and and what we think should happen? In my world, in my comfort zone, in my realm of thinking, this is what we should be doing. This is how it should be going. And this is what God should be doing. You're going to do it, right, God? And then we get disappointed when he doesn't. Because we aren't really committed to his will. Or or are we? Shouldn't we be? Are we willing to give our will over to him since he purchased us at the cross? Do, Do we comprehend the impact of that? Or are we getting disappointed to the point of distress when when the downs come after the ups because we forget that we aren't here for ourselves. We are here for God's glory. His creation, His glory. And remember that God's greatest glory will always be for your greatest good proven himself trustworthy in the resurrection of his son, if only in that. And he's told us that he will never leave us and never forsake us. If I trust in God's will and keep my eyes on the opportunities that the downtimes present me in my life to, to shine for him, why should I be disappointed when my will doesn't work out? Because it's really God's will that's important and, and my shining for him, my living out my gospel call, right? I need to be willing to make my plans, able to make my plans, but allow God to guide my steps, being dependent upon his will for me. Paul saw his way through trials, tribulations, persecutions, ups, downs, because he kept himself occupied by God's word. He drew boundaries to keep himself effective. He remained obedient to God's commands, and he was constantly dependent upon the will of God. But why? Why would Paul remain so dedicated to living for God? We, we've, I've talked about it already. But the bad stuff's still bad, isn't it? And the hard stuff is still hard, and and we don't, let's not ignorantly live in some kind of Christian denial that that the bad isn't bad, and even Paul got disheartened, right? Why keep going? Paul knew the value of the gospel. He understood the impact of the cross on his life, and, and it had greater value to him than his life in this world. He knew what he had been saved from. He he knew that he did not deserve salvation. He understood the infinite riches of the grace of God that have just been lavished upon him. Do we? Remember, Paul is our example, not an unattainable ideal. Do we know Christ well enough? Do we grasp our salvation deeply enough to be occupied by God's word regularly, constantly? to draw boundaries in order that we might serve the gospel more effectively in our lives, to remain obedient to God's commands, to apply what we learn from God's word, and to depend upon his will for our lives. Do we remember 
daily that, that I am a sinful man, fallen short of the glory of God, that fallen infinitely short before the perfect holy God of all creation, before whom I must repent as I recognize my sinful condition. Do you remember that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins, to pay the wages of my sin in my place? It's not my works that save me. It's not what I do. It's not coming to church. But the grace of God by faith in Christ alone that saves. And that in his name we have hope that goes beyond the few brief years we have on this earth. Does the gospel and the hope that it brings along with it carry me through the ups and downs as it did Paul? Paul, who said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Is this where I live? Is the gospel that significant to me? Let's live for Christ. With all that we are, knowing that Christ has made us his own, just as he had Paul. With a, with a gospel-centered confidence that gives us strength to continue through this roller coaster life in a crazy, mixed-up, fallen world. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for all you've done for us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that that knowledge would not fade in our minds, but it would remain at the forefront of uh, uh, when we wake up, we'd recall your grace and your mercy and the deep riches of your love for us. Lord God, I pray that your, your love for us would be a driving force for our entire lives as we understand that this life has been bought by you. Help us, Lord, then to give it to you, to give you our will, to give you our hope. Lord, you are good to us. Pray, Lord, you give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to live for you, whatever this world throws at us, and we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.